I thought, could I actually write a book that is a story? That's really not something I'd ever done before. And so I wanted to tackle that, but again, to reach a new set of readers. I passionately believe that if we understand how to ethically influence people, we can enjoy a lot more success at the office and more happiness at home. And so if I can reach more readers with that good word by doing it in a story format, then that's what I need to do. Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner Khan. Today on episode 620 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm speaking with Brian Ahern, Chief Influence Officer at Influence People. Brian decided to try a new format for his latest book, The Influencer, Secrets to Success and Happiness. He wrote a story. In today's episode of Smashing the Plateau, Brian shares how he decided to forego more traditional formats for a business book. Stay with us to hear all the details. Brian also shares how he got feedback from colleagues as he was working on his book. I know how important support from colleagues can be for our success. That's why the camaraderie of supportive collaborative colleagues is the foundation of the Smashing the Plateau community. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll also find a range of tools and resources to support your business, access to experts, and answers to your burning questions. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com community. That's smashingtheplateau.com community. Now let's welcome Brian Ahern. Brian is the Chief Influence Officer at Influence People. An international trainer and consultant, he specializes in applying the science of influence in everyday situations. Brian is one of only a dozen individuals in the world who holds the Cialdini Method Certified Trainer designation. Brian's first book, Influence People, Powerful Everyday Opportunities to Persuade That Are Lasting and Ethical, was named one of the top 100 influence books of all time by Book Authority. Brian's LinkedIn courses have been viewed by more than 400,000 people around the world. Brian, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me back on, David. Congratulations on the release of your new book, The Influencer, Secrets to Success and Happiness. Why do you find that persuasion and influence are important topics for consultants? And I would say, if there's a way to frame it so that it is um, specific to consultants that are building their business following a late career job loss, that's an area of great focus for us. Well, I think as a consultant, one of the big challenges you have is that whatever your great ideas are for the clients you're working with, can you get them to not just accept them, not just nod their head and say, that's a great idea, but actually do them. And that's where influence comes in. Uh, I'm a big fan of Aristotle's definition of persuasion, where he said persuasion was the art of getting someone to do something that they wouldn't ordinarily do if you didn't ask. And as a consultant, you need to get people to adopt new behaviors in order for their business to succeed. So that's where I, I see influence as being critical for the success of a consultant. Are there ways that you think consultants either should or shouldn't go about building influence? Particularly, I'm thinking about how in the, the increase in importance of our online world, 
due to COVID and knowledge workers primarily working remotely and consultants in particular, especially independent consultants that were probably working from home before COVID. Certainly now they're working from home. So there's a lot of emphasis in building influence in the online world because that's how most people are now connecting. Yet there are things that people do that are probably detrimental to their building of trust and building relationships. And in reality, may not be the best way to build influence. And maybe there are some other ways that you could recommend that might be more beneficial. Well, I can say as somebody who does consult, so I speak, train, coach, consult around influence. One of the things that I've seen hugely successful for me is the video studio that I put in my house. So you and I, before we got online, you commented on the fact that behind me is a large screen TV that says, hello, David, and it's got your logo. That conveys to people that I have been preparing, I've been thinking about you, and it engages what we call reciprocity, where you do this with a client, they say, wow, that's really cool. We have this nice conversation, generates good feelings, but also my act of doing something is going to engender a little more response from you to do something in return. So I've seen that this is incredibly helpful. Certainly anytime I think a consultant can get someone on a, a video platform uh, like, like Zoom or Teams or, or anything else, much better to be able to look somebody in the eye and have a conversation with them as opposed to continuing to go back and forth via email or even better than being on the phone because you can't see that person. So doing what you can to make sure that you're getting your clients in front of you in this virtual world so that you can look them in the eye. And then the third thing I'll say, too, is being able to navigate the tools and getting very comfortable interacting with the camera, because that's a very strange feeling for many people. And I will tell you, David, that I took the mindset of a newscaster. Those people feel like they're sitting right in my living room, like they're talking right to me. And I know that they are staring into a camera. And I thought, if they can do that, I think I can do that, too. And I worked on that skill set. Are there any tips that you've learned that help somebody know how to stare into a camera and get the other party to feel like you're in their living room? Well, uh, first of all, practice. There's no way around that. You've got to get used to it because it is a weird and uncomfortable feeling. And I was very fortunate that I started learning that when I was doing coursework with LinkedIn because I would be in a room with a camera, lighting people, sound people, staring into that black box for a day and a half, maybe two days. And I just started to get comfortable with that routine. So when we transitioned into the online world and I set up the video studio that I have in my house, I really began to practice with the new camera that I had because there's other distractions in the room, things that I can see. But I learned to get laser focused and not feel weird like I was staring someone down. Again, I kept thinking those newscasters and others that we watch so often That's what they're doing, but it comes across natural. So I have to trust that it's coming across natural. And I was able to see that because when I was first doing some of my trainings, I would actually not see the the little squares on Zoom. I would see myself. I was pinned and I could see how I was coming across. And once I got to the point where I said, I'm very comfortable with this, I did away with that. And now I'm always looking at the squares to see the head nods and the thumbs up and things like that. Is there a particular technique that you use to to help the viewer 
realize that you are actually let me re rephrase this so so one of the things that i've noticed with um with video when you're using it with your computer in particular if you have a separate camera is the camera is not always positioned in um, the line of sight of where you are looking if you're trying to see the images of the people you're speaking to on the screen is there a particular technique that can help deal with that well there's actually a tool so I, on the advice of someone, I purchased, it's a thin plexiglass and it can slide up and down. So my camera, I've got an external uh, 2K webcam and that's what I use, but it actually is slid down on the screen. Now I keep it a little higher than the center because I don't want to cover up somebody's face, but it makes it closer, that closer approximation where I feel like I can look at the person. Because if I'm looking at the camera that's built into my laptop, then I'm kind of looking up and I'm not getting the effect that I want, that I want people to really feel like I am looking at them. So a simple tool like that, I think it was like $50 and it just hangs on and you can slide it down. And then all of a sudden you've got your camera pretty well positioned in the middle of the screen. Very smart. What are some of the, the basic steps that you outline in your book? In, in the new book, the, that's a business parable. So I wrote this so that I could reach a new set of readers, because I know that my first book, which is heavy on the influence slash psychology business, there's some people who won't pick that up. The second book that I wrote is very strict to selling. And there's a lot of people who say, I'm not going to pick up a sales book. So in order to engage people and still teach them about the psychology, I wrote a parable, follows the life of a young man named John Andrews, meet him when he's born see him when he goes off to college, when he gets his first job, and then throughout his career. And he learns from mentors, coaches, clients, and other people. And, and what John does is he's very astute as he learns things, he looks to put them into practice. And so that's how I teach people about what we call the principles of persuasion. And what was really cool, David, is every character in the book is based on somebody that I know in real life that I learned things from and I was able to honor them by sharing with a wider audience all of the things that I learned from them. Mm -hmm. Can you offer some of those uh, some of those steps of persuasion? Sure. In one of the chapters, John is on the road as a trainee with a seasoned salesperson named Ben, and he notices that Ben's clients really, really like him. So he inquires about that, and he says, "Ben, it's pretty apparent your clients really like you. What do you do to get them?" To like you so much. And he comes back with, well, I don't do anything to get people to like me. So John presses a little more, well, you must be doing something because it's apparent that they really like you. And he says, nope, never done anything to try to get someone to like me. And so after a little bit of frustration, John says, you know, I give up then. What's the secret? And Ben reveals that he does everything he can to come to like the people that he's with. And that's his secret for forming relationships because he learned early in his career that the more you try to like the people you're with, the more they tend to respond to that. And that becomes the formation of good, solid relationships. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about what's in the book. Well, on the personal side, there's an interesting interaction that John has with a neighbor of his whose name is Bud, and he's modeled after a friend. And he, John notices that his neighbor seems to get more joy out of helping people than he gets from his own good fortune. And, and that's really the case with my friend whose nickname is Pud, that I noticed long ago that when my friend was helping other people and he would see them realize their dream, 
he was more happy for them than even they were at fulfilling their dreams. So John inquires about this in the book, and Bud lets him know that he learned a long time ago that he gets joy from helping other people, and then he realizes that his ability to experience joy is unlimited because there's an unlimited number of people who need to be uh, helped. And and so John takes that that mindset and says, you know, I need to be more focused on what can I do to help other people succeed. And just the joy that comes from that becomes kind of a self-reinforcing uh, mechanism for him in terms of how he starts dealing with people. Brian, what made you decide to write The Influencer? Well, like many people, I had more time on my hands with COVID. <laughs> and I had come out with another book in January last year, but I had the time and I'd had this idea rolling around and I wanted a challenge. I thought, could I actually write a book that is a story? That's really not something I'd ever done before. And so I wanted to tackle that, but again, to reach a new set of readers. I I passionately believe, David, that if we understand how to ethically influence people, we can enjoy a lot more success at the office and more happiness at home. And so if I can reach more readers with that good word by doing it in a story format, then that's what I need to do. How did you learn how to write in the story format? I've read a lot of books, but I don't really read a lot of novels. So it was it was a learn as I go. I did not start and say, well, here's going to be the beginning and here's going to be the end and how do I fill things in? I literally was making it up as I went, of course, relying on what I learned from other people. But as an example, I was sitting at Starbucks one day and I thought, this guy doesn't have a lot of adversity in his life. What could I do? And so all of a sudden, I decided to bring this adversity, a family situation, uh, into the story. And I literally just, as I sat there for an hour or so, I made that part up and then wove it into everything else. And so each chapter was kind of a progression of where do I want John to go today? What do I want him to learn? And then I would just sit down and write it. So that might be... You know, novelists might say, don't ever try that at home, but it worked for me. Yeah, interesting. I find it fascinating that you you didn't have an outline and you just let it flow. And it was interesting when I got to the end of the book. And again, I was sitting at a Starbucks one day and I'm writing and I hit this point and I'm like, I'm done. I know this is the appropriate way to end this. And I ended it in a way that if I want to write another book, I could. That wasn't the intention. I just felt like I hit this point and it was complete. And and so I kind of wrapped things up and certainly went back and reworked things and edited. But I knew that the story itself had reached its end point. Mm-hmm. How long was it from that point when you decided you you were finished writing it and the book actually came to fruition and it was published? It was midsummer, I think, when I hit that point and the book came out in early December. So uh, there, there's always a, a process in there. I, I went the self-published route and I worked with a book coach, but, you know, getting the formatting and and all the editing and getting the cover and all that stuff, boy, that, that takes more time than most people realize. So I felt like I was done with the, the writing portion of it early in the fall, and it took a few more months to ultimately get it to fruition. Brian, what advice would you have for consultants that may be thinking about writing a book in that parable form as opposed to writing your your more typical kind of business book? You've got to have a little bit of creativity. You've got to think, how can I take these things that I'm learning and weave them into a story that will be compelling, that people will find interesting so that it's not just technical writing? 
because the things that I teach, you could get very, very technical with them, but people are people tend to be drawn to stories, things that they can imagine, characters that they find interesting. So you've got to be able to do that. The other thing I would suggest is don't fall prey to the lie that you need like three hours a day to be Ernest Hemingway or something. Just start getting your thoughts down. Get into the rhythm of writing. It doesn't have to be every day, but maybe every other day. But set aside time and discipline yourself to do it because it is a skill. And you will write things. You'd feel good about them. You go back and read them and you're like, oh, that doesn't read so good. And, and you've got to go back and continue to rework. So it, it is definitely a process. But it's pretty cool. Once once that book comes out and you're holding it, you're like, wow, this is just like what I pick up in a bookstore. I wrote a book. It's a great feeling. And what was your structure? Did you write every day? Not every day, but I tried to block out at least three days a week. In my calendar, I will always block out like hour and a half chunks, and I'll just call it content creation. So I make sure that I have that time almost every day. Some days it's dedicated to writing my blog. I've been blogging weekly for about 14 years now, posting something every Monday. So that takes a a bit of time. But I always made sure that I was weaving things in there. And if I wasn't actually writing, I tried to do something related to writing, like going back and rereading sections and editing. So I wasn't maybe adding to the manuscript, but I was continuing to refine it. Even before I got to the end of it, I still would go back and, and read it and listen to it and then work on it. Are there any surprises that happened in this process? That my wife liked the book more than I thought she might right off the bat. I overheard her. I have an app where I can download uh, information and then I can listen to it. Hugely helpful when you're writing because quite often what you put on paper, it, it translates differently when you hear it. And that's a great way to edit. But when I was pretty far into the book, we were driving to Pittsburgh. It's about a two and a half hour drive for us. And I said, let me play what I have so far of the book. And so we listened to it and I overheard her tell somebody, she goes, yeah, Brian's writing us another book and it's a story and it's actually really good. (laughs) So, you know, she can be my biggest critic. So when I, when I heard that and she didn't know I heard her, I knew I was onto something because she does read a lot of novels. Interesting. And once the book came out, were there any unexpected things that happened? Well, it's only been out for about a month. I won't say unexpected, but I will tell you that anytime somebody reads it and sends me a note on LinkedIn or an email or something like that and tells me what they think of it, it's so gratifying. For example, my wife plays golf with uh, a lady who's uh, um, an urgent care doctor, really intelligent individual. And she said, she goes, I read the book and I loved it. I sat down and reread it again because I got so much out of it and I loved the story. And that's gratifying because, again, not having written a story before, I wasn't sure how people were going to receive it. And so it's been very gratifying, the feedback that I've gotten so far. So now what's next? I'm not writing another book related to influence, but I am working on a book about my relationship with my father. Uh, My father served in the Marines in the 60s, uh, did a tour in Vietnam And we had some struggles when I was in my early 30s. We really were butting heads as I kind of was pressing him to find out more about his life, some of the decisions, good and bad, that he made, and he didn't want to go there. And we were able to overcome that. And when he passed away in September of 2020, I decided that I was going to take a whole bunch of things, like a document he wrote about his time in Vietnam, 
my eulogy, a letter I had written him, all of these documents, and I'm going to pull them together into a book. And the goal for the book, David, is I want to give it to the Marines as a resource. And I'm going to tell them, like, look, people are going to come in and they're going to join this branch of the military and they're going to be changed forever. Some in great ways, some in not so great ways. And if if a Marine or his family can read this book and maybe change a little bit about how they interact, then it will be worth it. And I think my dad is smiling from heaven, knowing that his he is still helping his brothers. There's nothing quite like the power of story. And it sounds, it sounds like you're now on a roll. Yeah, yeah, I am. And th- this one is a, a passion project. I mean, I'm passionate about what I do, but this one is, it'll be a family legacy too. But it really, I did not serve in the Marines, but I was influenced by them tremendously because of my father. And it's a way for the two of us to do something that I think will help people who serve in the Corps. That's great. Well, Brian, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to share before we close out? We've covered a lot. You know, I would say the the second book, if people are interested in this topic and they really want to get deep, the second book that I wrote is called Persuasive Selling for Relationship-Driven Insurance Agents. And even if you're not in insurance, but if you're in sales, you'll get a lot out of the book because it looks at the psychology I teach, but specifically, how do you apply it throughout the selling process? How do you apply it to buying styles? How do you incorporate what we call persuasion and listening skills? So there's a variety of things that will help people in a number of ways if they're in the sales area. Sounds great. Brian, if somebody wants to get copies of your books, um, access any other resources you may have or get in touch with you, where would be the best place for them to go? Uh, There's always two places. LinkedIn. I love connecting with people. So if you reach out to me and you don't say that you heard me on the podcast, I guarantee I will come back and ask you how you found me because I think it should be social and I like to know why people reach out. And I put out a lot of content, so you'll continue to learn. The other place would be my website, which is influencepeople.biz. And there, there are links to the books. There are links to the previews of the LinkedIn courses I've done. As I mentioned, I I've been writing a blog for more than 14 years. I've been on a tremendous number of podcasts. So a lot of free resources and some things that you buy, but that's all out on the website. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming back and joining us again on Smashing the Plateau and sharing what you've done with this new book. It sounds really exciting. And um, I look forward to hearing more about what you're up to. My guest today has been Chief Influence Officer of Influence People, Brian Ahern. Thank you again, Brian, for joining us. It was my pleasure, David. Thank you for having me back on. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mentioned on the show. On today's episode with Brian Ahern, we learned how important support from colleagues can be for our success. That's why the camaraderie of supportive collaborative colleagues is the foundation of the Smashing the Plateau community. Inside the Smashing the Plateau community, you'll also find a range of tools and resources to support your business, access to experts and answers to your burning questions. Check out the Smashing the Plateau community so that you can build a successful consulting business on your own terms, doing what you love and getting paid what you're worth. Learn more at smashingtheplateau.com community. That's smashingtheplateau.com community. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.